things I've learned at 32 if you're doing a service on your motorcycle and you've replaced the filter and you've refilled the oil and you go to uh, dump the old oil and you find what looks like a metal washer and don't uh, and don't be afraid to just dump that new oil into a clean container and take out that filter and make sure that that wash is not important because you'll probably find that it's easier than trying to do roadside maintenance and you'll probably not um, break down or possibly cook your engine or any of those wonderful things Always have water. Always have water. There's a sissy bar on this motorcycle. You've got a bag, you take it to work. Strap it to your bike every time you go for a ride. Make sure there's water in there, make sure there's sunscreen in there, and preferably make sure there's a little toolkit in there and maybe a uh, charging pack as well for your phone, which is not the uh, best for keeping its charge, it must be said. Listen to that gut feeling that says the front end was good before, it's a little bit wobbly now. Or the one that says, maybe I'll just uh, slow down on this overtaking bit and let this car behind me get past so it isn't riding up my ass. Keep your temper. There's nothing to be gained from losing it. Uh, if you have in fact cooked this motor, and given the fact that it's still turning over, I don't think you have. But even if you have cooked the motor beyond repair, that's still not worth losing your temper over. Because remember what happens when you lose your temper. Your adrenaline surges, your blood pumps, and your head spins. And it consumes you, and you don't feel good about it. In the moment, you might be raging at whatever is happening, or whomever is... <laughs> the target of your anger. And you're all fucked off for ages. And then you realize, shit, I'm the one that needs to apologize. Remember what's important. You've got a family to look after. You've got a woman who thinks the world of you and bends over backwards to make you happy and is the most beautiful creature. You've got a child on the way and you've been waiting your whole life to be a dad. So keep that temper in check. And if you need an outlet, find an outlet. But find a healthy one. interesting thought. So my thought may or may not have <laughs> been accurate, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I thought maybe the uh, pressure it was building up in the gas tank 
even though I know that I've got a vented fuel cap because I checked that it was a vented fuel cap. I'm just uh, curious, very curious. And I've got some time to think about it before Alice gets here. She's probably an hour away. And she's being such a star about it. She's gone to the petrol station and got me some oil and got a, and got a funnel and she's bringing my tools and some water and a charger for the phone. You know, all those things that um, I was just saying to remind myself to bring. This road's surprisingly busy. No bikes have come past yet. I'm assuming that when one does, it'll stop because, I mean, in my head, that's what bikers do. You stop when you see a biker on the side of the road. It's something that I do whether or not I'm on my bike. It's been eye-opening who nods and who doesn't. Whenever I pass another biker, I always give the nod. Unless I'm passing a group, in which case I nod at the first one, and maybe one in the middle and one at the end. I'm not going to sit there bobbing my head up and down, though. And sometimes it's hard to nod when I'm going around an especially technical corner, but generally speaking, for the majority of the time, I'm, I, I nod, I acknowledge, hey, you're a biker, I'm a biker. And my first ride on this new bike that I passed a handful of motorcycles, it was really depressing that I wasn't getting that nod back. Like, I really take it personally each time. I know I shouldn't, but I do. And when I started getting those nods, I was really happy. And when I started getting people nodding at me before I'd even nodded at, nodded at them, you know, it feels good. It feels like and that community that I missed so much is, in fact, still there. So another thing that I've learned at 32, if you cannot find the details of who is putting on a run, and or where that run is going to, assume that it is being put on by one percenters. I choose not to associate with one percenters. I never have, because I think this whole outlaw biker slash bikey thing is for children. Like, yeah, I love my bike, I love the community and the camaraderie that I get from riding with other bikers and for hanging around with other bikers, being friends with them, but... And, you know, I like the way that I look in my biker get-up. It's about looking cool, and I think I fucking do, but that's about as far as it goes for me. I don't need to be this outlaw, be this bad boy. You know, I don't want to be involved with people who who do. And I'm really looking forward to meeting new people and new bikers with um, this uh, Tweet's Head Tweedheads, rather, Motorcycle Enthusiast Club, and I really, I'm really turned on by their name. They're not like I was a wanderer. Well, technically, I was never a uh, <laughs> a, a, a full member of the uh, Wanderers, but I rode with the, the Wanderers for quite a while, a few years ago. They, it was, yeah, they're a uh, SMC, a social motorcycle club. 
and you know they did the patches on the front and there was the club president and the treasurer and blah 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 and you know I I really dug that I was really into that whole side of it and I wanted so much to be um I'm patched in for lack of a better word and not enough to put up with bullshit that I don't believe in though like when I saw this post on Facebook that the club president had put up I made a comment like I don't get this is this racist it was like a bunch of uh men with hooked noses and they they were turning over a car or setting it on fire or something in the background in the foreground there was this bloke again with a hooked nose kind of Arab style and he was on a mobile phone and the caption was hello is that the wanderers can I do I get a green card if I join or something like that I didn't get it and so yeah I put a comment I don't get this Is, is, is this racist or am I just confused what and, you know, I went to bed and got up the next morning to check the response because I was genuinely curious. And um, my my comment had been deleted. And I was like, that's strange. And um, so I put another comment, you know, why, why, why delete my comment? I'm just wanting to know what this meme is. And then that comment was deleted... And I was like, nah, nah, that doesn't feel good. And so, you know, I left the Facebook group and I got, you know, all these messages from quite a few of them saying, you know, get over yourself, you're causing shit when there's nothing there. And I had a message from Mark, who was who was a good mate, who um, I really enjoyed riding with Mark. I think Mark's a good bloke and... It was him who was going to speak for me to, you know, um, put put me forward for membership. And he sent me a really long text saying, um, you know, I've just heard from Beryl that you called him a racist and um, I put your name forward and that reflects really badly on me. You're going to have to put these principles aside if you want to be a member. And I sent him a reply saying, look, you know, thanks for everything, but... I don't want to be a member of anything enough to compromise my ideals. I asked a simple question. I wasn't given a response. And I don't think that's okay. So I'm just going to call it a day. And, you know, it wasn't like that was the only thing. It was the final straw kind of thing. Like I was out for a ride and another one of the, uh, another member went off on one about Muslims and stuff. And I was like, no, hang on, mate. You're painting them all with the same brush that all motorcyclists get tarred with. And that, and that doesn't feel very good. And I was like, ah, and, you know, I sent in this thing on Facebook that was a really positive thing about, um, uh, something that local people were doing after one of these horrible shootings somewhere and they were Muslim. And, you know, he blocked me on Facebook and sent me this really angry message, like, don't you ever call me out in public again. Blah, 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 blah. And that, and that was an SMC. And a bit later on I joined... Um, this thing that my mates Adrian and Charlie were putting together an import from the States. It was called the FTW Brotherhood, the Forever Together Wherever Brotherhood. And it was decidedly not a club. And I loved it. I was one of I was in I was one of the one of the uh first members in the Vic group chuckles started it with adrian as vp and it was just getting off the ground and i was really into it and then i moved to um the uk and you know i've gotten back and since heard that it dissolved into the same petty infighting crap 
that happened so much. Adrian and, and Charlie fell out and they don't talk anymore and Charlie's moved on to this other thing that he's got that's that's like the um the Kelly Gang riding group or something like that that actually sounds really cool. But the way that they've titled themselves in Tweed Heads as a motorcycle enthusiast club really appeals to me. It's uh, it's a paid it's a paid club. Members pay dues. It's like fifty bucks a year, and you pay for each ride that you go on as well. They do one a month, and it's a lower rate for members. And they do raffles every. Tuesday night somewhere or Thursday night somewhere or something like that and they're really involved with charities and it just it looks like a bunch of dudes who are fed up with crap who want to get together and talk about bikes and go for rides and not have to deal with club shit so I'll give them a try and see if there's any mates to be made among them, see if there's good times to be had, and if there is, that's awesome, and if there's not, that's cool too. I really want to scratch this itch of um, having a group of people to ride with. But again, I'm not going to compromise what I believe in for it. And going to this poker run last Saturday and getting there and there's fucking Harleys everywhere and there's bikies everywhere and note the very deliberate use of that word. It was run by uh, Odin's Warriors MC. I'm sure there are a couple of other MCs there. There are a couple of um, VMCs, veteran MCs there. At least one that I saw. There was the... Uh, Sons of the Southern Cross SMC that I looked at a couple of years ago actually, but it just they're all white guys, you know. And well, they're all white guys and they incorporate the Australian flag into their um patchwork and I can't stand for that. One of my big things with um the FTW Brotherhood that came up in our first meeting was I can't wear a patch of the Australian flag. I can't support a group that flies the Australian flag as a patch because it's a fucking lie and it's colonialist and I don't believe in it. You want to fly the Eureka flag that I have emblazoned on the back of my riding vest and I will be happy as a pig in shit. So yeah, I got there and there's these bikies everywhere and you know, they're looking tough and they're looking mean and there's <laughs> they're looking like fucking absolute bogans as well. And everyone's just standing around shooting the shit and I'm just standing there kinda of awkwardly and you know, I've never stood in a group of bikers for that long without having someone say hi to me. I don't know if that was the MC thing or because I showed up on a 250 or what it was, but you know, I was already feeling awkward and then I look behind me and there's a couple of cops standing there and they're talking to them to these two guys behind me and they're saying, um, you know, g'day, um, we, we, uh, want to know, um, where you guys are going, what route you're taking, we're going to do a stop at some stage and just check everyone's license and breath and stuff, which is complete, uh, uh, yeah, it's a completely ridiculous waste of, uh, public resources and all that shit, but I don't need to get into that because and that's a whole other thing in itself. And these guys were just like, no, no, don't know, don't know, no, don't know. And, you know, I'm, we're not talking to you. And I'm like, all right, well, who's 
in charge. Who's your club president? I don't know. You don't know your club president? No, no, I don't know. Okay, well, who's in charge of the run? So, oh, yeah, I don't know. So you don't know who's in charge of the run. You don't know who your president is, and you don't know where the run's going or what route you're taking. No, no, I don't know, I don't know. And before you know it, there's four or five cop cars there. There's a couple of cop bikes. There's some of the big four-wheel drives, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm standing there, actually. And I'm just feeling more and more like, you know what? I want to go out for a ride and enjoy this day. I don't want to put up with cops who are going to harass me just for being on a bike. I don't want to be harassed by cops who are going to, who I know for a fact are going to pull me over and make a big deal of whatever. And so... I also didn't want to leave just then because I thought, well, then they'll follow me and I'll have to deal with that shit anyway. So I went into the actual uh, hotel outside of which the run was starting and got myself a lemonade and sat down and watched everyone leave and watched the cops fucking tear ass after them. And I sat there and sipped my drink for 20 minutes, half an hour, and then I got on my bike and I went in the opposite direction and I had a ripper of a day. So the thing to know is, yeah, I love riding in, in a big group. I do. It's its own completely separate experience from riding solo. I don't need that enough to do it in a situation that I'm not comfortable with. I don't need to have a confrontation with anyone about it, but if I don't feel comfortable, I'm going to step the fuck off. Another thing I've learned at 32, and this is something that I've been saying for years, and it's a rule that I've broken a couple of times. All the gear, all the time. If it's too hot to wear it, it's too hot to ride. I am so conscious of the gear that I wear. I am so conscious of the fact that I have Kevlar protecting me from my hips down to my ankles. I'm conscious of the fact that I have tough leather with proper motorcycle armor protecting my torso and my arms. I'm conscious that I have proper riding gloves that protect my hands and I'm conscious of the fact that I do not currently have motorcycle boots and I'm just wearing my streets. I'm conscious that I wear a uh, open face helmet instead of a full face. That's a choice that I made based about 30% on cost and 70% on aesthetics. I've got a burnt face at the moment because I wanted to look cool. I now wear my head sock and only a little bit of my nose is exposed to the sun. I've got a uh, full goggles and, you know, the fighter pilot looking thing coming hopefully next week that is to keep the rain off me when it's raining because, fuck, I forgot how much rain hurts. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. But it'll also keep the sun off me and probably end up wearing it more often than not. So all the gear. All the gear. I um don't I don't feel the urge 
to go around with bare arms or to say fuck it and not wear my leggings one day. Like it's, I've, I've ridden in some fairly hot days so far. Not for all that long, but... There have been a couple of stinkers and I tell you, I'm not taking off this Kevlar layer on my legs just to be comfortable. I really like my skin. I really do. And I see so many people in this area that ride in t-shirts, in singlets, in shorts, like Jesus Christ, in shorts and runners. Like, I get that it's hot. I really fucking do. I don't enjoy this dry heat. But I tell you what, I'll enjoy losing my skin a hell of a lot less. And so much of this is about looking cool and you know what, I look fucking cool in my gear. You know, boots, jeans, open face helmet, gloves, especially with my uh, head sock on as a face mask, like forget about it, I'm sorry, that looks cool. things I've learned at 32. You do what you got to do to make it work. I'm working a job that I wasn't looking for that I really actually quite enjoy. I'm being given more responsibility than I've had in a uh, working environment. And it's hard on the one hand doing that because well I suppose A it's been a long time since I've had a job. I haven't worked before this at an actual go in there and do the job job since February or March or something of 2016. Like, that's good two and a half years. And, um, it was easy enough getting back into the swing of actually working. Like, I, I don't have a problem with that, especially as I'm doing something that I don't fucking hate. It's hard being away from Alice and knowing that she's doing it hard. She's in a brand new country. She hasn't really made any close friends yet. And up until the other day, she didn't even have the car while I was at work. And we're living with somebody who's nice enough, sure, but we don't want to live with anyone. He's not been away. He's been away for the last week and it's been fucking incredible. So this last week, John's been away I've been taking the motorcycle to work. Alice has had the freedom to do what it is that she wants to do as much as as she can at the moment. And I'm still not making enough to actually have us afford to live in the area that we want to live in. My Fucking God, I have lived in three-bedroom family houses on quarter acreages that don't cost as much as a fucking granny flat with 
no kitchen and no internet cost in this town. I don't really know how to reconcile that. I'd, we're now starting to talk about it wouldn't be too bad if we lived a bit further afield because I think we're both just realizing that what we not what we need for us to be together and to have this baby is space, air conditioning, internet, privacy. And there's only so much that I'm going to earn. It's not about a lack of hours. I'm doing a 30-hour week. I haven't been since Christmas. I haven't worked a five-day week since Christmas. It's been fucking great. But I worked a three-day week last week, and I still earned, you know, 400-odd bucks. More, more like 450. So it isn't that I'm not doing the hours, that I'm not being given the hours, or that I'm even not on a pretty good rate of pay. I'm, I'm on 24 bucks an hour. Which is about as much as I've been paid as a standard daily rate of hospitality work ever. And I can pretty comfortably afford where we are now. But there's no way that I could afford the exorbitant rental prices in Mullumbimby on what I earn. Like, I work five days a week, and I can't afford a house in the town that I work in, because when they want $400 a week for a one-bedroom, like a one-room converted shed or granny flat or whatever, that doesn't have Wi-Fi. That has no separate bedroom. I mean, what do you do? You look further afield. You accept that you can't always get the things that you want and you look further afield. things I've learned at 32. you got to put the effort in to maintain your relationships. It's something that I've known for a while. It's something that keeps on being driven home. I am terrible at keeping in touch with people. I'm terrible at it. I don't... know a whole lot about who my big sister is in her day-to-day -day life because in the last 10 years when she's been in Perth I've seen her maybe no more than two months worth of days 60 days in the last 10 years and about 30 of them were last year in July. I'm really bad at calling. I'm really bad at sending messages. I'm really bad at fucking emailing. I'm really bad at just touching base and saying, hey. And every now and then I'll make that effort and just not maintain it. And that's on me. It's not enough to say I'm really bad at keeping in touch without then doing something about it. Things I've learned at 32. 
I am twice the age now that I was at 16. I, I know maths, that's how it works. But I'm realizing that this morning or last night or whenever it was, was actually pretty significant. So when I was 16, I started year 11, which was up at a different campus with new people. When I was 16, I, I started learning how to drive, which is something that I'd been waiting for since I was 10, 11, or 12, or something like that. And I think I got my uh, learner's handbook for a birthday present when I was 14. I don't even think it was 15. I think it might have been 14. I had a full two years to study that shit. Uh, 16, lost my virginity to a horrible, horrible person who manipulated me and emotionally abused me at every turn and whom I let do those things because, well, I didn't have the strength to stand up and say don't, I suppose. At 16, I went on my first motor biking weekend with her and her family, who were just as horrible. Um, but that was significant because that was the first time that I had been on a motorbike for any real length of time. I'd first ridden a motorbike when we lived in Wangaratta and I went to visit my friend, my friend uh, Patrick. He had a something or other and he uh, said hop on and have a go and I had no idea about anything like I didn't even know what the throttle was all I knew because dad had a um, XT250 all I knew was that if you twisted the right handlebar it went rin 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 I had no <laughs> concept <laughs> that it was in some way attached to anything except making a cool noise so into the fucking ditch island I, he I held it open in first for I don't remember how long a couple of seconds, 50 meters, something like that. And into the ditch I went and the engine was blown. And I think I'd been, I think I had a ride of Johnny's YZ250 or something like that when I was 13. And it was like, he'd scared me off it because I, I saw him riding around and it was a two stroke turbo. I was like, wah, wah, wah. And he was talking about power band when the power band hits and I had no idea what he was talking about. Obviously, I didn't let on. And so I got on and I just... Like, I can't remember if I shifted to second or if I just stayed in first and just kept the revs really low. But yeah, I did a tiny little lap. And that was, that was me. That was done. And yeah, so I think the first... The next time I was on a bike was on this camping trip when I was 16. And I'd borrowed Uncle Luke's bike, which was also an XT250, saying, yeah, of course I can ride it. And he dropped it over. Like I was like, can I borrow your bike to go camping? And he was like, yeah, sure. Like, fuck, how cool is that? And he just brought it over. And um, it had road tires on it. And I was like, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I got up to her place and her dad was like, you can't use road tires, we're going dirt biking. And so the bike wasn't taken, but I ended up on one of their spare bikes that was a, um, a KX200. And um, so I got up there and they had armor for me and everything and helmets and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, right, there's the bike, hop on and have a ride. And it was Again, the first time I'd ridden a bike since I was 13, and I didn't ride the bike properly that time, so it was really the first time that I'd properly ridden a bike, and 
it came to me so fucking naturally. I uh, hopped on and started it. I cannot recall if it was kickstart or uh, electric start, but I held the clutch in and I started it and I put it in first and I let the clutch out slowly and off I went. I didn't stall. Up to second, kept on going, up to third, got to the end of the clearing, turned around, came back, did that a couple of times, got off, tried to be nonchalant, because, you know, I'm 16. And so, yeah, cool. And spent the next couple of days riding around. I uh, really enjoyed it. I blew it up. I think um, I wasn't revving it high enough or something. I don't know. Looking back, I think it was just a piece of shit bike. It had been worked on to... Uh, it had been bored out basically from a um, from a 200 to a 220 or something like that, or a 230, and it was basically their piece of shit bike that they worked on for funsies. And so yeah, it blew up on me. And I think they just pushed it into a ditch and left it there. Or they they certainly talked about it, and they had me on a uh, Cerro 220 after that, which was definitely push button start, and it was a four stroke. And I had a speedo, like it was, you know, road legal and everything. And they called it the sorrow because people kept on coming off it and hurting themselves. And, uh, yeah, again, I just, I just took to it. The only really hairy moment was, uh, well, I mean, I dropped, I can't remember which bike it was, but one of them I dropped just when we were standing Still, because I don't know, I forgot to put my feet down or something stupid. And the only really hairy moment was um, when I was going around this bend, like from a road into a bush track. And I don't know how, but I ended up in this massive left-hand power slide. And I was going sideways and just looking at this tree getting closer and closer and thinking, oh, fuck, this is it. And I gunned it one last time, and I just shot forwards. Like, power slide, power slide, throttle, shoot forwards, and I couldn't... I haven't done it since. I haven't tried to, but I don't, I don't know if I could do it again if I tried. I don't know if I'd have the fucking balls to, to be honest. And, um... Yeah, I just took to it so naturally. And then it was quite a long time after that before I was on a bike again. But the next time I... The next time I definitely know I was on one after that was uh, buying my first road bike, a ZXR 250 from Luke McFarlane, who I went to school with. And it was a uh, 1990, which meant it was an inline four. And it was de-restricted and fuck, it went so hard. So my first ride since then, my first ever ride on the road, I went down and done my license and everything, but my first ever ride on the road was uh, me getting a bus from Doncaster via fucking Dandenong to a, uh, to finally a train station where I got down to Frankston like two and a half hours late and it's already dark by then and he's waiting there he's like here's the bike cool here's the money cool here's the keys and I rode that fucker straight onto the freeway and back up to Doncaster and I was just like ah, like pissed scared but also just the biggest fucking grin on my face as well like I'd spent all this money on gear and I was really kitted out and I'd been looking forward to it for ages and I went like on the fucking bus and the tram with all my gear and yeah it wasn't it wasn't anything technical about the bike that was scaring me it was just fuck this thing is so fast so fast I had a um I had a Ninja 300 very briefly a couple of years ago that wasn't registered 
that was supposed to be a track bike that never really made it to the track. And I'd gotten it because one of the bikes that I got while my uh, Vulcan was being serviced, one of the bikes they gave me to use was a Ninja 300, and I took it down to Mum and Dad's who lived in Mornington at the time. And that thing was fucking quick, but it maxed out at... um. 165, 170 or something, like it did the ton, no worries, but it maxed out at 175, I never maxed out my old ZXR. I, I think I got to about 180, 190 and ran out of road, or ran out of nerve, probably nerve, probably nerve. So yeah, 16 was a really significant year for me. And that was 16 years ago, so... in the intervening 16 years since being 16, I've finished school, had so many different jobs. In so many different places, I've fallen in love with girls, with drugs, with motorcycling. I've been dumped. I've fallen out of love with drugs in a very big way. Fallen out of love with alcohol in a very big way. gotten married, separated, moved all over the country, nearly lost my mind. And just recently, um, become a, uh, well, become well on the way to uh, being the father of this tiny little human being who's over halfway cooked now. I've made friends, I've lost friends, I've made good choices with money, I've made bad choices with money. And I'm only 32, you know? I wonder, these last 16 years have been so significant. And the next 32 years are going to take me up to, what, 64? It'll take my firstborn up to the age of 32. It'll take my beautiful partner to nearly 70. You know, it's really easy sometimes to get stuck in this thing of, wow, you know, the time's going so fast, it's just getting, each year's passing quicker and quicker, there's no time, blah, 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 like, 32 years is how long I've been alive. Sixteen years is how long it's been since I was a 16-year-old kid full of piss and vinegar. And three years is how long it's been since I met Alice. A bit over a year, about 14 months is how long it's been since 
the accident in Cornwall that lost us our home. Four or five months is how long it's been since I've been back in Australia. And everything that's happened since then, uh, 24 weeks and two days is how long my child has been alive and growing. And that's been the longest 24 weeks and two days of my existence. Time and the significance we attach to it is meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. Except for the context that we give it. So yeah, sometimes it seems like, oh fuck, you turn around and it's going to be November again. And it was a bit like that last year, I suppose. It always, it always tends to happen, but... It's just your mind playing tricks on you, trying to trying to compartmentalize your life and your time. Because life is long. There is time to do so many things. And I think if we're lucky, there's not time to do all the things we want to do because shit man, what do you do when you've done everything that you want to do? I guess maybe you look for more stuff that you want to do. But I don't ever want to get to a point where I feel like I've done it all now and now I can rest and be content. Like, I love my rest, I love my sleep. I wish I got more of it. But there's so much to do. So I guess the things I've learned at 32 slow down. Don't lose your temper. Try and look at things calmly and make things work as best you can. Hold on to the things that are important, let go of the things that aren't. And try not to talk so much bullshit. And try and actually do that thing of keeping in touch with the people who are worth holding on to.